maybe it's just me, but I think software's been like in search of a metaphor for a long time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Episode 30 of the Ruby Rogues Podcast. This week on our panel, we have Noel Rappin. Hi. You want to introduce yourself, Noel? Sure. This is your first time? Sure. I'm Noel Rappin. I'm a senior engineer at Groupon, and I'm also the author of uh, Rails Test Prescriptions from the Pragmatic Press and a forthcoming book with the working title Something 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 JavaScript. We're hoping to tighten that up. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> All right. We also have Avdi Grimm. Hello, hello. Uh, James Edward Gray. Yes, I am here, but sick again, so if you hear me sniffling throughout the podcast, that's why. Josh Susser. Uh, hey, everybody. Um, I'm not sick, but I'm I'm uh, disadvantaged by being in the Pacific time zone this morning. <laughs> and I'm Charles Maxwood from teachmetocode.com. So this week we're going to talk about uh, software craftsmanship, and, and Noel was actually over at the Software Craftsmanship NA North America, is that what it is? Yeah, SCNA, Software Craftsmanship North America. Yeah, so he was over at the conference over there, and uh, he's been thinking about this stuff uh, over the last week or so, and so we thought we'd talk about it. So uh, I think, I think Noel, you're pretty involved, I guess, in the community, or at least you made it to the conference. You want to you wanna kind of introduce the topic, and then we can go from there? Sure. Uh, SCNA, uh, as a conference, this was the third uh, annual, and it's uh, we had about very close to 300 people there talking about um, various topics relating to software craftsmanship and the idea uh, that software is a craft that is worth doing well. Uh, we had a keynote, opening keynote was Corey Haynes, closing keynote was um, Chad Fowler, and we also had um, uh, Gary Bernhardt from Destroy All Software gave a really great talk, and uh, Uncle Bob was there, and uh, Zed Shaw actually uh, was there as well, gave a talk, and uh, a lot of really good conversation in the hallway about about people talking about what the limits are of software craftsmanship and, and, and writing good code and being proud, taking pride in your work and when and, and also to some extent really what the limit of that is in terms of business value or providing uh, the the value that you're expected to, to provide. Right. So um it's rather interesting. I've talked to several people that are part of the community. I've, I've actually interviewed Corey Haynes, Micah Martin, uh, Dave Hoover, and a couple of other people sure. about things related to this on, on the Teach Me to Code podcast. And it, it, yeah. it's really interesting some of the, the things that come out of this, both from the sense of are we craftsmen and what does that mean, as well as um, you know some of the, the, the principles from the software craftsmanship manifesto. Right. And, and I'm wondering, how much of a sense did you get at the conference the, you know, that uh, people were thinking about uh, maybe the manifesto? Or... Um, I think the manifesto itself is more of a starting point. Like, like I said, it's not, it's not something that we all sort of pledge allegiance to. Um, I think that there was a, really, a real sense at the conference that these are, the, these are our values, you know, that we, we value doing our work well. And then, sort of, what does that mean? Like, does that does that what does that how does that affect what we do on a day to day basis? Does it does it change any of our practices? Um, does it change the way we approach our our jobs or our communities? Uh, 
And I think that was really, I think there's sort of a straw man argument that the software craftsmanship movement is really just about going off uh, in a corner and polishing their code until it gleams. And that really wasn't the tone of the, the speakers or the tone of the talks that I, or the other conversations that I was involved in. It's really about how we do our job well within the constraints of the value that we need to provide and the expectations that are on us and the environments that we work in. So, Noel, um, you said that the manifesto wasn't something that you pledge your allegiance to, but I go and I look at manifesto.softwarecraftsmanship.org, and there's like hundreds of names signed to this. Sure, sure. I'm not saying I'm not saying that people are. I'm I'm saying I'm I'm, what I'm saying is is that the, the 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 point of the conference is not. The point of the the point of the conference and the point of the conversations that are going on in the community as as I see it are not about uh, uh, obedience to this manifesto, but is are about how to apply this as a set of values. You know, we we believe that we believe that we bring the best value to our jobs when we do our work well, and we believe that that's how we create long term value. That's how we create short term value. How does that affect our our day to day approach? Okay. So you didn't have to swear blood right or anything on the way in. Well, there's a tattoo, but I can't really talk about that. <laughs> right. It's in an embarrassing location. We understand. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then the secret handshake, you know. Right. Who told? Damn. <sighs> there was a, a video from Glenn uh, Vanderberg at RailsConf. Uh, is it 2007, 2008, somewhere in there? Uh. I think so. He also gave a keynote list this year, and he spoke at SCNA as well this uh, this weekend. Gotcha. Well, I went back and watched the old RailsConf talk, and, and basically in that talk, he seemed to say that uh, um, that it, it seemed like he was trying to say, I think that was back in a time period when some people were disillusioned with calling ourselves engineers. Um, and I, I think he was trying to define what we do a little better. And he did think that what we do is, you know, at least in part engineering, uh, but then he layered on also the, the craftsmanship. Yeah, he was talking, he was talking uh, this weekend specifically about the overlap between the view of what we do as being engineering, the view of what we do as being craftsmanship, and the view of what we do as being art, <laughs> and how there are aspects of all of that in what we do, and uh, I'm probably misparaphrasing that, but but he was looking at the elements of all of those disciplines, terminologies, in, in terms of the way that, that, that they affect the way that we think about what we do. Yeah, that was the general gist I got from the, the keynote that he gave at RailsConf. I think it was... Yeah, I, I thought it was last year, but it could have... Yeah, he, did, he gave a keynote th- this year, um, and yes, and his talk at SCNA was similar but not identical. Right. So um, my, I really liked what his points, you know, where he, he kind of started out and said, this is how regular engineering works and this is how, how software engineering works and here's how we kind of move into, well, this is what craftsmen do and this is, this is how it's similar to what we do. And I, I really liked it. Um, one thing that really bothered me when I first started uh, getting involved in software craftsmanship and eventually kind of made me leave, you know, not get as involved as I would have in the community was mainly because people were having this argument over what software craftsmanship meant. And I really felt like they were, you know, they were having the wrong, they were, they were arguing over something that really didn't make a difference. 
Um, mainly it was, you know, they were saying, well, you know, ancient craftsmen had guilds and they did this and they did that and they did the other. And, and my thinking was, look, you know, this is about writing better software. So it doesn't matter what they did unless there's a lesson there. Right. I think that, I think that, you know, a couple things that, uh, in my head out of that one is that I think one of the interesting things that Glenn was saying was the idea that. That we have sort of misinterpreted what engineering is, and and that that may have negatively affected the way that we see software engineering. That we that we expect that engineering is all mathematical and formal, and in practice, it's not. Um, and I think that the metaphor stuff. I don't know. I personally feel like we can sometimes get a little precious with the the naming and stuff like that. Like, I mean, we have. At Optiva and now at Groupon, we have um, apprenticeships. Uh, where where somebody comes in and does something that is at least analogous to a classic guild apprenticeship, where they they work with experienced developers. But honestly, there's not much more. Honestly, the difference between calling it an apprenticeship and calling it an intern or an entry level position, I'm, I'm not I'm not sure what the practical difference is. Um, I think that you know there's value in thinking of what we do as having craft to it. I, I find that in dealing with non programmers, it's very hard to get across the idea that there's an aesthetic to software development. Um, and I think that that uh, craftsmanship can be a useful metaphor for thinking about what we do. But yeah, I think that the metaphor can get pushed too far. So, so I, I think that there's a whole spectrum of professionalism and how you approach being a software uh, developer, perhaps, um, that a, a lot of uh, the people who come on this podcast to talk and the people who listen to this podcast are already – like so far out on that scale about how they approach the, how they do their work that for for you know the the conversation that 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 we tend to have about software craftsmanship is a little bit like how many angels dance on the head of a pin the yeah yeah there are aspects of that sure the, the, but it, you know if you look at the you know the vast majority of people who write software for a living on on the planet or even expand that to the people who write software for any purposes the the professional class of software developer who works at Groupon or you know you know any of these you know big companies that make a lot of money off of software is already doing an amazingly good professional job i think that's pretty accurate uh i was going to say that you know if if you're someone who's into software craftsmanship or uh agile programming or you know you read the pragmatic programmer religiously, or you're just Kent Beck and you, you're, you know, almost anal about figuring out your process and codifying it, right? If if you're somebody who's doing any of those things, then you have a recipe for success, in my opinion. You're you're viewing what you do, you're you're you know tracking what you do, and trying to improve on the formula all the time, right? And Basically, that's how you get better at something. I think. Right. right. Yeah, I, I think that's really the kind of the the point of software craftsmanship. But again, you know, I mean, and and I'll, I'll bring this up over and over. I think because uh, I mean, really, the issues that I had uh, trying to get involved and understand software craftsmanship. Uh, the issues that I had really came down to the community because the principles are pretty sound and they make a lot of sense. But there are people out there that that do this kind of stuff. One of the other things that really made me crazy was just that. Uh, 
And I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not going to turn this into a gripe session. I only have one or two more <laughs> things that really bother me about software craftsmanship. But the other one was that it seemed like a lot of people were, were going out of their way to kind of uh, get in other people's face and go, are, are you a craftsman? You know, like, do you understand the terms? Are you part of the in crowd? Well, well Chuck, the, Chuck, that's the point I was trying to make is, uh-huh. that, is that if the – if we're having a conversation about software craftsmanship and how to be excellent software developers and professionals, then it's it's a bit of an echo chamber. So is, is, is the point of the conversation about software craftsmanship in general for the people who are already into being good, you know, good software developers and professionals, or is it to try and expand that thinking yeah. to like all the other software developers out there who may well, not already be committed to excellence? I think a lot of the conversation that was going on, I mean, I think that one of the things that was striking about the conference itself, and we can use that as sort of indicative of where the community is, more or less, uh, two things struck me about the content of the talks. One is that there were a, a, a fair number of talks that were at least um, in, in some way or another skeptical of the idea that, that this was going to be a magic bullet that was going to solve all of our problems. I think um, and we're exploring maybe what, what that means in practice. And also I think a big emphasis this year in particular was on teaching and bringing people into the community, the software community in general and the craftsmanship community in particular. And I think that um, that that's an area – that's certainly an area where the, the people that I know that are passionate about this have been putting a lot of effort uh, lately. And I think that's a, a very important area for – for us to go. I think that's actually probably one of the strengths of the software craftsmanship movement is that general interest in uh, treating it kind of in a more old school guilds and apprenticeships that, in my opinion, that's probably the most useful way to learn programming, right? And that... And we do do a lot of that. We, we, We work, you know, we bring people, we have, obviously we have you know, apprenticeships. We are a lot of the people here and in the Chicago uh, sort of Ruby community or craftsmanship community are involved with mentoring new programmers at um, Code Academy, which uh, is a Chicago local uh, program programming school. Um, you know, we, we've been trying. We try very hard to be do to be doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's one thing that I did notice too was that you know, as I talk to these different people who are involved, they're all out in the Chicago area. Um, you know, you have you have people like Uncle Bob and, and yeah. Micah and and Dave and, and you know some of the guys out there in Groupon and you know it's really interesting that that it's kind of there and centralized around there. But I, I really do admire a lot of the things that uh, that you guys do to be involved. I mean, one thing is uh, is Corey Haynes Code Retreats. Right. Yeah. We should, we we should talk about that with the Global Day coming up. How many has it, has everybody here done a code retreat? No, I signed up for the three no. day. Oh, okay. Uh, is, are you guys okay? Are I you keep missing from, them. You keep missing them. Uh, am I the only one here who's actually done one? We did one at Optiva. We we brought Corey in and ran one for everybody at Optiva one day last year. Um, do you guys familiar with the basic idea? Yeah, yeah. Let, let, let me let me see if I understand. I haven't done one, but uh, it's basically you spend a day writing code that you know you're going to throw away, so that you can work on technique rather than the thing you're creating. Right. The basic idea is, uh, you know, the facilitator uh, gets up. You work in a pair, and you're working typically on uh, Conway's Game of Life, and you do it in 45 minute chunks. And at the end of each, because the problem is something that a, an experienced programmer can probably solve in about an hour, but you have 45 minutes. 
Uh, so the idea is you know that you're not going to finish it, and you know that you're not going to keep the code. So the idea is to explore different techniques. And typically, the first time around, you you do your favorite technique, and that over time there are suggestions to try a stricter test-driven technique or to try it in a different language or to try a radically different approach to the problem. Um, and it's 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 a lot of fun, and I was – a little skeptical of it going in, but it really does. It really was. Um, it's, it's definitely something that will make you think about the way that you approach just sitting down at a keyboard and typing code. I also understand that don't you work in like small teams or something to work uh, on pairs typically. Right. So then says, then as you rotate, you also pick stuff up from the people that you're working with. Right. Yeah. The idea is that you, at the, at the 45 minute mark, you, you throw out what you have and you rotate pairs. So to uh, uh, kind of expand, uh, on December 3rd, I believe it is, is uh, Global Code Retreat Day, right? Yeah. So groups are encouraged uh, all over to get together and try this experiment uh, locally so uh, that you can uh, gain the value of this. And uh, I believe there's a website that walks you through, you know, how to facilitate yeah. one and stuff like that. So uh, CodeRetreat.com. Yeah, and, and I know that the spots in my local area went really, really fast. Within a couple of days, it was full. So, uh, you know, go out there and look. If it is full, then, yeah, like like James said, you know, see about facilitating one. But there's probably one within a reasonable distance of you if you're near a, a major metropolitan area. So how about the Software Craftsmanship Manifesto? Shall we go through it? Yes, Okay, so I will I will read it. I thought maybe we could discuss it uh, point by point. I, I find it interesting. Um, so th- I should say this is obviously obviously intended to be an extension of the Agile Manifesto. Right, and, and it's, it's a point it's a point by point extension. Right, and it becomes painfully clear just almost immediately. So uh, here's here's the opening. Uh, this is the Manifesto for Software Craftsmanship: Raising the Bar. As aspiring software craftsmen, we are raising the bar of professional software development practice. Uh, sorry, professional software development by practicing it and helping others learn the craft. Through this work, we have come to value. And then there's this kind of left-right points here. Uh, not only working software, which, as Noel said, is directly out of the Agile Software Manifesto, but also well-crafted software. So that's the point that software craftsmanship ads. Um, so maybe we can stop and talk about that one for a little bit. Well-crafted software. The meme I always hear is a craftsman signs his work. Yeah, although the, the, ones, although the one speaker who actually talked about doing something like that in SCNA, I think got some audible eye rolls from the audience because somebody did talk about actually signing his code files. Um, the only signing I've ever seen was uh, when I was working at uh, Public Engines there was a, a, a feature where you could draw an area of a map and then it would tell you all the crimes that occurred in that area. And they neglected to put a size limit on there. And so one of the guys that was on the team that worked on the Flash component that did that actually signed his name across the United States. <laughs> I, I, I don't think that's a, what we mean, though. No, no. I think in terms of this, there's sort of there's two angles to this. One is that we as developers are sort of long-term more satisfied in our jobs when we feel like we're doing something well. And secondarily, 
I think the feeling is is that we're producing over the long term, we're producing value better for whoever it is we're designing software for. We're just doing that will that will go better as a long term process if we are uh, designing long term, if we are well crafting our software well. And I think this one's kind of a no brainer, right? I mean, uh, I, I think almost every aspect of uh, software strategy, you know, begins with techniques for building better code. I mean, that, that makes it easier to build, more maintainable, right? These are, these are things we understood well right. 30, 30, 40 years ago, I think. Yeah. Well, and we've spent 29 episodes talking about a lot of the principles yeah. that go into that. So. <laughs> right, right. Right. so, 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 um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be devil's advocate here for a bit The the, so while, I mean, well-crafted software. I mean, duh. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) thank you. The, um, so, so, you know, the points in the manifesto, I think, you know, they're, they're hard to argue uh, that you should do anything different. The, the question is, since it's so hard to argue that you should do anything different, what's the point of arguing for them? (laughs) And the, and, you know, well-crafted software in particular is like, well, okay, don't write crap. And, (laughs) and, yeah, that that makes total sense to me as someone who makes his living writing software. You want to be producing something that other people feel is worth paying you for, and you know, so well-crafted software makes total sense. That when, when Kent was on, we talked a little bit about this. I mean, just really in passing, and he said that his focus for uh, for developing software that he thought was of good quality was. Uh, coming from the perspective of having compassion for somebody else who's going to have to maintain your software in the future. And I think that that sort of, that makes it much more concrete about what you mean by well-crafted and what's the point of, you know, rather than just, you know, polishing this module until it shines and you can see your face in it, what's the real goal behind saying that your software is well-crafted? Right. Well, I think the goal, I mean, I think part of the goal is the second point of the manifesto, which is to be steadily adding value. I don't mean to jump on jump ahead or anything like that, but um, no, that's that's fine. I do. You know, but I think right. But I think the point the the point of of of, of well crafted software is that it enables you to steadily add value. But I think there's also a legitimate conversation of what the limits are. I mean, one of the speakers, you know, one of the speakers at the conference pulled out the line that you probably heard. You know, what do we call people who ship big balls of mud? Millionaires. Um, I think that there's a limit to. It's interesting to talk about where the limits of uh, crafted software is, or where the short term, you know, where the short term becomes long term. So uh, I guess I'll go ahead and catch us up here to uh, expand on the point Noel just brought up. The second point of the manifesto, there's there's only four main points, and the second one is not only responding to change. Again, that's directly out of the Agile manifesto, but also steadily adding value. So that's the new thing that they layer on. I think um, Avdi puts this one uh, the best. I've heard him mention it before where he's, uh, you know, that you can write crap software and you can make that work as long as you're willing to accept more bugs and a slower feature turn, right? And I I think that kind of is what they're playing to here is that by building better software, we can more easily move it in different directions, right? Yeah, one thing I want to point out with this too, and it's kind of um, along the same lines that you were talking about there, James, is that you know if you if you're writing poor software and it takes longer to turn out those features, you can still overcome that if you're consistently adding value. And the reason is is because 
as you find these issues and you fix them so that, you know, the, the software is easier to maintain, easier to extend, then, you know, then you start right. to build speed because you're, you're getting that momentum back. It's not as hard to extend it the next time you have to touch that piece of software. Right. And so, you know, so adding value isn't necessarily adding features. It, it may be fixing deficiencies in the code. Well, the, and, and this goes back to our conversation on technical debt. And, and where and how do you add value? You know, are you adding value by removing uh, bad things in the software or by adding features or what have you? Mm -hmm. uh, but but I but I um, again again being putting on my devil's advocate hat, uh, you know, if you're not adding value when you're touching software, what are you doing to it? Well, and and also you're being paid to to work on the code, so they're they're putting value into you to put value into the code. Yeah. So is so, that is that necessarily right? Honest? But again, this is this is I, I think to some extent. I mean, this isn't necessarily because people thought that I, I don't know that there was a huge movement that programmers should not be steadily adding value to their uh, to their projects. I, I think that to some extent, it's an extent it's an attempt to really extend or make explicit something that was not in the Agile manifesto. Because I think it was one of the criticisms of the Agile manifesto was that it didn't talk about uh, adding value. I maybe miss I maybe miss. Uh, interpreting the history there, but I remember that as being one of the criticisms of the Agile Manifesto, that it was something that value to the to the end client or the whoever you were building the software for was not really addressed. Yeah, well, well I, I think there's something, I, it's fair to criticize the Agile Manifesto in that regard. I know that, uh, you know, even Kent has said that a lot of the original XP stuff was sort of a defensive move on the part of developers to... Uh, avoid some responsibility in the process. I was going to say, before I started thinking about, before I really started thinking about this in terms of craftsmanship, when I first became a professional developer, I, my metaphor for this was really just perfect, like a professional in any other, um, in any other field, somebody with specialized knowledge that you might go to uh, for a specialized task, um, you know, a, a more lofty, like a doctor or a lawyer, or also like a plumber or a mechanic. Sometimes I think plumber and mechanic are the best metaphors for what we do. Um, and that that somebody is coming to me because I have technical knowledge that they don't, so they need me to do a technical task. So it's incumbent on me to point out the pitfalls in, in the way that they're approaching the problem and to be the, to, to be an honest broker in terms of adding value, in terms of consistently doing the best that I can and advocating for the needs, for the technical needs of the project, um, the same way that you would expect, you would hope that a professional who came out to, uh, you know, fix your furnace would advocate for the technical needs of having to keep your uh, furnace clean, you know, or the same way that you would expect a, a that you would go to a doctor and expect a certain level the do that the doctor would tell you uh, that you have that there's certain things that you need to do to keep yourself healthy, you know. And I think that that to, to my that's still the way that I kind of perceive software craftsmanship. I think my view of it is 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 pretty similar. I was thinking about this the other day, um, thinking about you know what I think of as as craftsmanship and professionalism. And I was I realized uh, when I think about when I think about hiring a professional. Uh, when I think, I think about going out and finding someone I think is really a professional, uh, I'm actually looking for somebody who will say no to me. Uh, like, you know, that's, that's, if I pay top dollar, I'm, I'm, I'm paying top dollar partly, uh, to have somebody say no to me. Like, if I get somebody, um, a photographer, if I want to get a photographer to take some headshots, 
Um, and you know, photography really is, is it's kind of it, it's a craft because it's there's art to it, but there's also uh, a, an enormous amount of technique. And um, you know, and I, and I'm expect you know I'm expecting that if I say okay, and now I want to be in front of this backdrop, and I want to have this lighting, and I want to wear this outfit, um, I'm I'm expecting a professional to say no no that's going to make you look like crap and i'm not going to take that picture and if you want somebody to take that crappy picture you can hire somebody cheaper yeah yeah um and and so i i you know when i think about like what do i you know what's sort of one of the heuristics that i look for that's one of the things i look for hiring somebody outside of software is somebody that will say no one of the first arguments this is literally true one of the first arguments i had with my for lack of a better word, management in my first software job was over whether it was ever appropriate for us to say no to a client. That 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 the people who ran this company really and sincerely believed that if we started saying no to clients, we would soon run out of clients, and we'd all. The phrase was that we'd all be on the breadline next week. And I was make I was continually advocating for basically what I just said that people you know that these these people come to us expecting professional opinions, and that it is incumbent on us to offer professional opinions as to what works and what, what's going to work and what's not going to work. Okay, so, so we've thrown around that word professional quite a bit, so let me uh, go ahead and read the third point of the manifesto here. <clears throat> I'll say up front, this one kind of bothers me a little bit, but we can talk about it. Um, the third point is uh, not only individuals and interactions, again from the Agile Manifesto, but also a community of professionals. That's what software craftsmanship adds. Yeah, so uh, one thing I, I want to kind of uh, build off of what uh, Noel was pointing out, and that was that, you know, it, it, it is okay to say yes to your, or say no to your clients. It's okay to say yes to, but... Uh, <laughs> it's helpful to say yes sometimes. It keeps them honest. Yeah. yeah. Will you work for me? Yes, usually gets you paid. <laughs> anyway, um, so... I have a couple of clients that, that you know have varying um, technical level levels of technical expertise, but uh, there there's one in particular that uh, every time I tell him no, we don't want to do it this way, or yes, we want to do it this other way, or whatever, um, he he comes back to me and he's always like, well, you're the expert, and and then that's it. I mean, that's the whole conversation. Well, you're the expert, so okay. Um, but the other thing is, is that uh, there have been a couple of instances where. I didn't have the answer where I didn't actually know the answer to his question or the, the solution to his problem. And uh, I think it's just as important as a professional to be able to look at your client and say, you know, I really don't know. I can do some research or whatever, but I really don't have the answer that you're looking for. And, um, you know, really just, you know, represent to them what you have to offer and what you don't. And uh, it, it actually worked out in my favor because this particular client, um, had his brother brother in law coming in. He he's the original uh, developer on Dentrix, which is the the dental office management software, and uh, and that was the thing that really impressed him over anything else was that I was willing to just look at him and go, you know, I I don't know, I don't, I don't know about that, and I don't have expertise in that area. Yeah, you know, but you know, then again, you know, saying I'm sure I can learn it, and uh, you know, being professional about that. So to me, the big thing about this point is the is the community part. Um, I mean, I, I, it's easy to forget in the Ruby community, but there is an, uh, there are an, an enormous number of programmers out there that are, that are pretty much living and working, um, outside of any real community. Um, and, uh, you know, so it's, it's easy for me to forget cause I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in community all the time. 
uh, at conferences and, and online and on Twitter and, and et cetera. But, uh, but, you know, part of this is just, is just tr- trying to draw, I think, trying to get more programmers into that idea of a, of a technical community that kind of, you know, holds itself to account and, and, and tries to better itself. Um, and, um, and, and there's still, I mean, I think there's, there's still tons of room for that to grow because, you know, I talk to people every day, I'll go out to regional conferences and so I don't, not every day, but I'll go out to regional conferences and talk to people that, you know, they work with, with programmers that would never, you know, have never been to like a user's group meeting, um, or anything like that in their lives. Yeah. I, I actually really like what you just said there. And, and I'm glad you said that because I, I didn't really take this angle on that one. And I, I run into Ruby programmers and I, I ask them just like, you know, Oh yeah, we, do you go to your local users group or do you go to any other regional conferences or whatever? And when they say no, I, I instantly think, Oh, you don't get it. Like <laughs> one of the killer features of Ruby is the community. Right. So like if you're not in that, then you're missing one of the great strengths of Ruby. You know, it's unfortunate. Yeah. But not everyone's as extroverted as you are, James. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. Well, well, and I've worked with guys that had every excuse under the sun to not go. Oh, well, I'll come next time. But, you know, this time I have whatever, you know, I have to help my wife, you know, wash her hair or whatever. And it's just, you know, how do you get these people to the point where they care, where they want to get involved? Because it doesn't just reflect in, well, gee, I don't have time to go. But it, it really, you know, it reflected in their, you know, in, in the principles that we're talking about here where, you know, they want to be involved, where they, you know, where they're, they're uh, learning to write well, well-crafted software, where they're interested in other ways that they can add value to whatever they're working on. You know, they're, they, they don't even care. All they care about is, is being there at their nine to five, holding down the job and, and getting, getting by on that. So how do you, how do you get them from that uh, mindset to the other? Well, I think I think the thing that you said was that that was the, the the thing that hit me was they don't care. Like we have to get people to care. Like when people care about being part of the community, then they contribute to it. Um, care but, bear stare. So, yeah. so, so I, I mean, a couple of people have said things that are cool about the communities that that we experience. But but what's really the the why should they care about being part of a community of professionals? If you're a doctor, then. Being part of a professional organization is incredibly important to your practice. If, you, if you're not part of a professional organization, you're going to have a real hard time being a successful physician. Right. You know, and, and, and if you're a lawyer and you're not part of the bar association or whatever, then you're going to have a real hard problem being a lawyer. That, but if you're a software developer and you're not part of a professional organization, I think you're probably a, a successful software engineer. Well, yeah, I think that the communities exist. The, you know, the, the communities exist to serve certain needs. They're a place to get mentoring and assistance. They're a place to learn about new techniques that you haven't uh, talked about. There, there are a place to find future collaborators. I mean, I, but no, they don't have anywhere near the the level of. Uh, it, it's not. We're not reaching the level of being a professional organization, and I don't think that anybody would see that as a, as a positive in our community. But. There's still something about having a shared experience and uh, with a com- with people in the community that's powerful, you know. I think, and I'm, it's not like I'm Mr. Extrovert. So, uh, uh, but I still do find value in, in a lot of these events and, and getting to meet people that are doing neat things and find out what people whose work I really expect, that really respect, find exciting and, and find valuable. 
Yeah, we're we're definitely the choir that you're preaching. Sure, to. I know, I get that, I get that, I get that. Yes, I mean, I... Uh, th- there's a story that I hear over and over again, um, talking to programmers, and it's, um, you know, I I spent <clears throat> basically I spent the the first few years of my career, um, you know, working basically as nine to five programmer. I didn't really care. And then something, you know, and, and it might be, you know, something different for each case, but something, something got them into, um, into a community somehow, sort of drew them in. Maybe it was a mailing list. Maybe it was a, a somebody dragged them to a user's group or something like that. And they had sort of a, a road to Damascus moment and, and, you know, and, and discovered this community and, and started, you know, really like talking to people more and, and working on their, their craft more and and what's what's notable about all these stories is that they are all so much happier um with sort of ha- having discovered the the community and the the you know the pride in the work and all that and so for me you know i don't think everybody has to be a member of our club um you know <laughs> if it is a club you know i don't think it's something where okay we need to get all these people in um but but I think it's 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 worth it just for the sheer you know joy of of spreading that joy because because I've I just see that over and over these you know programmers that say they're so much happier since since discovering community and since embracing community. Yeah, I, I think it's not that we have to get everybody in. Um, like like Chuck alluded to earlier, there's plenty of people that just don't care, uh, and those people we probably can't help anyway. Uh, I think it's that we have to get the people in that want. In. Right, that they they are sure. searching for that, and and we need to try to get that to them. Is my opinion. Yeah, and I have to point out that uh, a lot of trying to get them involved was pretty kind of a selfishly motivated thing because them being involved and wanting to be part of the community and and learning some of the stuff that I was picking up at the users groups would have really made my life easier. So it was really more about you know my happiness at work rather than where they were going with their careers, but. You know, at the same time, I mean, it, it, it makes a huge difference working with somebody who who cares and wants to learn this stuff as opposed to somebody who's just there to not get fired. So um, we probably need to get on to the fourth point here soon, but I wanted to say one more thing about this third one. <clears throat> the word professionals kind of bothers me a little bit. Um, and I, I understand what it's trying to say, that we should be professional about what we do and and how we treat people and stuff like that. And of course, I fully agree. But I also feel like it kind of pigeonholes us in a little bit that that rubs me a little bit the wrong way. The um, it, I, I think of people like Aaron Patterson or Why the Lucky Stiff. And, you know, I, I don't think the way they usually comport themselves is something that we tend to throw the professional label on, you know? But they've been very valuable to our community. I mean, in in almost immeasurable ways, you know. And so I, a little bit, it bothers me that kind of, I don't know. It almost feels a little bit. Uh, so, so 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 you're saying that professional sounds like don't be colorful. Yeah, yeah. A little bit, it bothers me. Like 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 we're not allowed to have fun or we're not allowed to do stupid shit or, you know, which is all valuable to what we do. And I would, I would hate to see the word professional used as a club to keep valuable people out of, uh, out of the community. I don't think that that's worthwhile. Besides, I've seen Aaron speak. He wears a shirt and tie, so he must be <laughs> that's professional. True, right? he, he wears exactly. a damn suit and he looks great in it. <laughs> He's professional. 
<laughs> no, pr- pr- professor, professional, I think, is just holding yourself to a, to a high standard of being responsive to your customer. I, I agree. And I, I think that's valuable and stuff. I just, I hope we never take the other side of that meaning. I think, I think if you said a community of professionals to the average corporate programmer or something like that, they would take a pretty different meaning from it. Yeah, my experience with this com- with this community, the Ruby community, and also to some extent the craftsmanship community, is that whenever anybody starts coming in talking about any kind of anything that looks like a professional organization, people go nuts. So I don't I don't think that that's uh, I don't think that I don't think that that's coming down the pike anytime soon. Yeah, that, yeah, uh, th- there is a potential dark side here though, and that's uh, anytime you have a community, there is the potential for. Uh, some individuals to be excluded or ostracized from right. it. And uh, you know, I, I have uh, personal experience with a family member who is you know, basically excluded from his professional community because he was too uh, avant-garde in his approaches. And, mm-hmm. you know, so he got excluded because, you know, his, he was a threat to them because they <laughs> weren't as innovative. All right, let's move on to the fourth point. I think we talked that one over pretty good. Number four, uh, not only customer collaboration, but also productive partnerships. And I'll I'll confess, I don't really know what they mean by this one. So I I would love to hear people explain it. I guess I can talk about how this, I mean, this, how this was interpreted, or at least the way that Optiva comported itself sort of in, not compliance, but in a court, in, in uh, recognition of that, that, that Optiva as a, as a consulting firm was very interested in long-term partnerships. They were not interested for the most part in, um, in, um, in working with somebody for, you know, somebody who had something that they wanted to get out in one month. They were interested in somebody that they could work with over a period of years, and, and that involved effectively becoming partners with them and and building trust and, and taking a long-term interest in not just their code but also their business um, so that we could both be successful. To me, that's what that, that's what that phrase means. Right. I, I've seen that too in my business working with some of my clients. It really, really pays off if they feel like you're uh, invested in their product, not not necessarily financially invested, but you know that, that you care whether or not it it, it fails right. or, or succeeds. Your 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 their wins become your wins, and your wins become their wins. Yeah, absolutely, and and it really pays off. You you almost wind up making friends, you know, through the whole thing, and um, you 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 tend to add more value to each other, not just in the traditional I wrote code for you, you gave me money since, but really, you know, I've learned some, some valuable lessons from some of my clients because, you know, it's, it's become that kind of a relationship as opposed to, um, you know, what, whatever else that, that it could be just a, a strictly professional, strictly, you know, well, I'll talk to you about what I want and you write the code. Yeah, you certainly don't want to be in a situation where where the client or the customer feels like they they've been kidnapped. I used to when I was young and cynical, I used to talk about the the client developer uh, relationship in terms of Stockholm syndrome, but I don't think that that's uh, that's a, not a good long term metaphor for it. Um, you don't want people who feel like you don't care about their business or you don't care about their wins that you just care about you know uh, uh, getting the getting their money. 
that that's not a productive partnership. Yeah, I, I do want to point out too that I've also been burned by this um, when I was a, a full time W two employee. You know, where I'd get invested in the business, and then something would change, or I would find out that the the CEO or whatever wasn't as invested in me as I was in the company. <laughs> And uh, so, you know, that, in my opinion, isn't a partnership. But if you if you can become invested in what you're doing, then you tend to have um, the, at least the first two points in the, this manifesto, you know, come out naturally where you're given your best and you're st- you're trying to add value in every way you can to make it succeed because you're 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 in it for the long haul and you care. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not just consulting. You can have this in your full time job. You, you again, you just have to. Uh, you have to kind of build that kind of a partnership and that kind of a relationship with your coworkers and with the people who are involved in the company. So just to uh, kind of bring this to a close, there is one more line in the manifesto after the four main points. It says, that is, in pursuit of the items on the left, we have found the items on the right to be indispensable. And obviously, the manifesto is laid out so that the agile items are on the left and the new software craftsmanship items are on the right. So... And I, I really think that's part of the secret of what they built here is uh, they basically are just refining the Agile Manifesto, right? Which is probably the only reason anybody takes this very seriously, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, so, I... um, and, and there's a way to assign the manifesto if you want to uh, if you want to add your support. And it has a very, very lot of signatures. So you can yeah. go here and see what that's like. Yeah, I want to clarify something really quickly. Um, I, I was being a little bit negative earlier, and and like I said before, that has nothing to do with the cro- software craftsmanship movement. In fact, I would encourage people to go and check it out and get involved if they can. But uh, I was I just wanted to voice some of the concerns that I had because I think it's relevant to talk about uh, some of those things and make sure that you know um, the the points and purposes are, are clarified. You know, even if the the some of the people involved aren't always you know, uh, acting according, accordingly. So right. anyway, and if people want to, if people want to get a little bit more background information on this, we, I'd point them to, uh, the Glenn Vandenberg, uh, RailsConf keynote. And, um, also Dave Hoover's apprenticeship patterns book is a very good book for thinking about, uh, you thinking about leveling up on your job in terms of, uh, things that you can do to get better or the things you can do to think of yourself in, in a craftsman like way. Um, both of those are pretty good resources for people who want to sort of start th- start work start walking down this path a little bit more uh, explicitly. Hey, hey, Noel, I want to yes. say th- I want to say three words and get your reaction to them. Okay, capability maturity model. Ah, I mean, sorry, what? <laughs> I blanked out there for a second. <laughs> um, so, so uh, I mean, well, I that, remember- was, that was what I was talking about when I met, yeah, when I was talking yeah, about the community yeah. going bananas when people do anything that. Yeah, <laughs> that, I mean, can you just can, so for people who are naive about this kind of stuff or, or, or new new hearing about it, do you just want to say something about the insanity that is CMM? Uh, like in general? Yeah, I mean, just whatever. I, I, capability maturity model is a it will i'm not from i'm not familiar with it in um i should say i'm not familiar with the generic form of it i remember when there was an attempt to create a uh ruby uh ruby consultancy uh sort of oh, oh yeah, yeah 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 obi obi tried to do that he tried right. to do the, the the rails maturity model he tried to do the rails maturity <laughs> model and 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 you know that 
didn't really go over well. Basically, though, it's it's a it's an attempt to quantify uh, the quality of a process. I'm going to get this wrong, most likely. I, I'm actually distressingly familiar with CMM. Uh-huh. Um, so if, if I could jump in. Oh, dear. Feel free. <laughs> distressingly. I like that word. <laughs> um, Sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, you said those three words and, and, and I, I, uh, I blacked out for a moment and found myself drooling on the keyboard and, and uh, I'm still shaking. Um, so, um, yeah, the, the CMM is basically what happens when you get um, when you get a bunch of nerds to try to codify what 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 uh, good engineering and craftsmanship and professionalism is um, into an incredibly verbose set of documents, and then you build a huge business on top of on top of certifying organizations um, according to that definition. Um, but kind of one of the funny things about the way that it's it's often interpreted. Um, and one of the funny things, particularly about like that that sort of short-lived Rails maturity model thing, is that even the CMM, um, you know, a lot of people think, oh, okay, so it's going to tell you exactly how to code. Uh, it, it does nothing of the sort. In its in no, its incredible it's about a process, yeah, I remember. right. In its yeah, in its incredible verbosity, it still says nothing about um, how you do your work. It's more about uh, how you think about how you do your work and how you think about how you think about doing your work. And it's it's, it's very it's actually. It's like a, yeah. Yeah, it's sort of death by umphaloskepsis. It's it's like yeah, it's like if you took if if you took the basic idea of agility, which is, you know, um, you know, and made it less constantly agile. constantly constantly adjust your process and then wrote, you know, and then wrote an entire library of books about that instead of just right. doing it. Right. I, I I was on the fringes. I should I, I guess I'm, now that I'm thinking about it, I I was at a, a past company several years ago that where where that was very very uh, uh, concerned with becoming uh, level four and then level five, um, and I, I recall I, I recall it mostly as being an effort to have processes to define how we change our processes and then processes to define how we change our processes that change our processes. Exactly. That was that was, that was mostly how it impacted me. Mo- for the most part, I was able to completely ignore it. Uh, except that there were all of these processes for when you wanted to change the process that my team wasn't using anyway. So, <laughs> okay, s- sorry for that, Avdi and Noel. <laughs> no, 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 no. You, if, if you follow that up with Six Sigma, then you'll completely short circuit my head. So, <laughs> oh, okay. Now I need therapy. This <laughs> is like when, when Dave makes one of his naked jokes on Twitter and then your brain just kind of seizes up because it's like, I'm not going there. Anyway, um, so let's get into the picks. Uh, I'm sure we've got good stuff. Uh, James, why don't you go first? Okay, so um, I, I wanted to make two picks. First of all, uh, I keep forgetting to mention this, but um, a, a friend of mine who is in the armed forces uh sent me a private message on Twitter a while back uh, saying that uh, he loves downloading and listening to our podcast while he's doing his work in Afghanistan. So I just wanted to give a shout out to the troops and say thanks for, you know, everything you do for us. I assume uh, that all of us support the troops no matter whether you support what they're doing or not. It's not their fault. Um, So... Uh, anyways, I think it's really great that they're out there doing that and listening to Ruby Rogues while they do it. How freaking cool is that? Um, <laughs> so, uh, thanks, Tommy. Stay safe out there. Um, my other pick, uh, I was at a different conference than Noel this last weekend, uh, and I was learning about all kinds of things. 
which I won't bore you with, but uh, one of the things I was learning about is how freaking cool math is. Um, we were, uh, we had a really great uh, presentation on Bayes' theorem and how you can use it to uh, prove or disprove elements of history, you know, based on their probability and uh, things like that. And it was a really cool talk. I uh, really enjoyed it. Um, so I, I picked up some great references from that talk. Um, uh, you know, math literacy in general in the United States is pretty bad. Um, and uh, the uh, companies in the United States, they know that and they use it against us. So uh, that's kind of sucks when you think about it. Um, and there have been entire books written about that. Uh, in numeracy, uh, which is about the consequences of uh, mathematical literacy and uh, uh, proofiness, uh, which is um, basically you know, showing you how they use math against you and uh, things like that. So if your math really isn't up to speed, uh, there are some uh, uh, lots of great resources for bringing it up to speed, for just getting better. Uh, just a, sen a simple general audience book you can pick up is uh, 101 Things Everyone Should Know About Math. Um, it's pretty good stuff for, for, like I said, general audience. And then uh, if you want to get your daughter's interest in math, uh, which I think is cool since I'm a dad and have a daughter, um, there's a great series of books by uh, Danica Meckler. Is she with... McKellar. McKellar, sorry. I, I believe, yeah. Yeah, McKellar. Um, she was... Um, uh, Winnie and the Wonder Years, if you can remember that series, and has gone on to do several other things. Uh, but um, she has this awesome series of books. Uh, math Doesn't Suck is the first one, um, probably the best. Uh, Kiss My Math uh, is another one. And then uh, Hard X, which is, or sorry, Hot X, which is about algebra. Um, and they're basically a great series of books on uh, uh, high school, or sorry, middle school uh, mathematics and getting good at it, but uh, even adults uh, tend to enjoy them and say they're quite good. So a uh, little bit of feminism thrown in, so that's always great too. So anyways, I just want to encourage everybody, if you haven't, I'm always trying to get better at my math. I am absolutely terrible at math. I mean terrible. So um, I'm always trying to improve and get a little better, and uh, if you want to, then uh, these are some great resources for that, and it's worth it for you to do so. So those are my picks. All right, super. Avdi. All right. Uh, first of all, a uh, a little book called Rails Test Prescriptions by <laughs> some guy named Noel Rappin. Never heard of it. Uh, which is uh, the, the definitive uh, book about testing Rails applications. Uh, Avdi, I'm yeah. pretty sure I sold a couple of copies of Objects in Rails over the weekend, by the way. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, okay, um... And um, a, a non-technical pick, uh, Olbas T, that's O-L-B-A-S. I've had a cold uh, for the past week, and, um, and, and this Olbas T is, is an instant herbal tea mix uh, that's um, from Switzerland or something. And my wife gets it, and it's, it, it makes my head feel better. Um, and uh, actually, one more quick technical pick. Um, I just started using uh, MailCatcher, I think it's called, to test uh, sending mail in a Rails application. 
and um, like to, to do manual testing. So you can you can fiddle around in your app in dev mode and then uh, and, and have it send some mails out and then you can open up the this little Sinatra app and look at all the mails that were sent out. And it just kind of works really well. So um, that's it. All right. Uh, Josh, what are your picks? Okay. Um, let's see, I don't, I don't know if this has been covered before a couple months ago, but um, I'm going to give it a shot anyway. Uh, in a, I started up an application recently, and I started, using, I started it using Bootstrap from Twitter. So, uh, and Bootstrap is uh, Twitter's open source take on how to get going building a Rails application. So it, it, and it's not really about Rails. It's, it's a bunch of CSS and JavaScript that make just putting together a nice-looking web app. You have a, a nice, good starting point. Um, and they, uh, they deliver the CSS in, in um, less as well as CSS. And, but I prefer um, the SAS version of SCSS, and I found a, f- a good fork of that on um, GitHub that had it in SCSS format. So it, it, it's not the final styling we're going to use on the application, uh, but you know, like the uh, like the Rails scaffolding for getting going, building your controllers, this is a great way of getting going, building an application that doesn't look like crap while you're working on it. So, so kudos to Twitter for providing that for us. Um, then uh, I have my uh, my uh, semi usual Netflix pick. Um, I'm really excited that that they now have all of the Star Trek series on. Netflix because this includes the animated series, which which um, is pretty hardcore even for uh, Star Trek geeks. And so it's the all the original cast members except for um, Chekhov for some reason, uh, but uh, you know all the original cast voicing their own characters in an animated form. And they have some pretty good stories in here. They have uh, uh, a Larry Niven short story called "The Soft Weapon" redone as a Star Trek episode, um, which was pretty cool. And then they have an episode to the Tribbles ep- uh, episode. Uh, so it's it, it's a lot of fun. So worth checking out. I checked out the first episode of that the other day, and 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 you're right, it's actually um, uh, surprisingly well written. Yeah, yeah, I was a little aghast at some of the first episodes uh, and the moral stories or the moral uh, conclusions that they came to, but uh, but uh, the series definitely picked up and there were some uh, some good stories in it. Besides, if they have triples, what's not to like, right? Uh, true enough, true enough. And, and then I have and then I have one uh, one last little quickie, and that's uh, you know, speaking of Star Trek, there's an author, a science fiction author named Diane Duane. And she's written a bunch of Star Trek stories and a bunch of fantasy stories and has this young wizard series. And and the first thing she ever wrote, uh, the first novel, was uh, um, The Door into Shadow, which was the beginning of a series that has been called Saccharine Sweet by some, but I, I found it very charming. Um, and it, it was a great fantasy series. And there's a, a final book of the series that she's been waiting to write for I don't know, 15 years or something like that. And, uh, and those of us who are fans are going nuts waiting for this final book in the series. So I'm going to put a link into her blog post that she put up in July asking for uh, input from people about whether she should write The Door into Starlight. So if you're a fan of Diane Duane, if you like her writing, um, and if you like um, you know, a different kind of fantasy story, go check it out. That's it. All right. Noel, what are your picks? Uh, I actually do have picks. I have a, uh, 
I have a technical pick, a sort of technical pick, and a non-technical pick. Um, I spent after I got an iPad, I spent a lot of time trying to find an application that I could actually not even so much write code, but at write um, Pragmark up um, that was actually decent. And I was looking for something that had Dropbox support and Text Expander support and a good keyboard. And I finally settled on Textastic. I don't know if any of you have ever used this. Um, Textastic is an iOS, it's an iPad app that supports TextMate bundles for syntax highlighting and themes. Um, it highlights a bunch of different types of files. It puts an extra row on the soft keyboard with a bunch of programmer symbol keys. It has some navigation stuff. You can connect to an FTP server. You can connect to Dropbox. Um, the developer is super responsive to uh, feedback and, and updates it pretty frequently. And it's just it, – it's really useful. Um, I actually do wind up writing on it sometimes uh, quite a fair bit. So Textastic. Uh, uh, would be one pick. Uh, Non-technical pick. Uh, anybody here ever watched the television, the short-lived television program called The Middleman? No, I didn't. No. No, okay. The Middleman was based on a uh, a comic book series, uh, but the TV is actually better. The guy adapted his own comic. Uh, it ran somewhat weirdly on ABC Family a um, couple summers ago, summer 2008 maybe. It's um, really loving send-up of insane science fiction tropes, um, and it's goofy and fun but also takes them just seriously enough so that it's not just a satire. Um, it's, it's, a, a, it's a lot of fun. Uh, one episode in particular has, for instance, a... Uh, a confrontation between a martial arts expert and a hundred Mexican masked Lucha Libre wrestlers. Um, it That's features, awesome. yeah, it features zombie trouts, vampire puppets in other episodes. Um, it's, it's insane and wonderful and fun. So that's my other pick. That's insanely cool. I wonder what zombie trout tastes like. It, it is available. It's available. It is not available on DVD and I don't think it's on Netflix, but they are available on iTunes. The crazy thing is that I've seen a vampire puppet, puppet in a TV show before. <laughs> I think there's also, there's also an alien boy band. I think it's aliens that are masquerading as a boy band. Oh, um, wow. This sounds worth checking out. It's, it's, it's fun. <laughs> All right. Um, I, I guess it's down to me, huh? Um, Beat that. <laughs> I, I don't know if I can um, I've kind of been getting into crossword puzzles lately. I, I tend to move from one thing to another. So, I mean, for a while it was Sudoku, and then it was um, the the balloon tower defense thing, and now I'm kind of getting into crosswords. And uh, there is an app on um, the Mac App Store. I'm trying to remember, it's called Crossword Lite. Is the one that I have, and it has a couple dozen crosswords in it and I think you can actually pick up uh, more crosswords um, you know just just in the app but I haven't fiddled with that yet I finished them all but um, anyway then another good place to get crosswords is I've been going and doing the USA Today crosswords and uh, on occasion I, I, I feel the itch and you know I, I don't have a crossword handy and I've already done the USA Today one and so I've been doing the L.A. Times one as well. You have to pay to get to the New York Times one, so I haven't done that. But anyway, so that that's some of the stuff that I've been getting into. And then um, another one, and this is a this is something that um, somebody picked a while back. 
but it's just something that has uh, I've been using a lot lately that just keeps coming up over and over and over again, and that is Acorn. It's the um, it's an uh, uh, I keep wanting to say audio. It's a it's an image um, editing tool, kind of oh, like Photoshop, yeah. but way simpler. And uh, anyway, it's just super duper handy and has, has really um, made my life easier because it, it has a lot of the common things that you need to do just right in the menu so you can just get to them and like resize an image or um, select an area and fill it in or whatever. Um, in a lot of ways, I think it's, it's easier to use than Photoshop. So anyway, I'm going to throw those out there and uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and wrap this up. Um, I want to thank Noel again for coming on to the podcast. It's always fun to have guests. Yeah, anytime. Uh, especially smart guests. So uh, thanks for coming. Like I said, anytime. Thank uh, you for having me. All right. Well, also on our panel, we have, uh, in no particular order, Josh Susser. So long. Been fun. Uh, James Edward Gray. Thanks, everybody. And don't forget to read Eloquent Ruby. You've got about two weeks left before we talk it, and, and there's tons of spoilers. So. <laughs> yep. Don't give away the ending. Opti <laughs> <laughs> uh, Grimm. Happy hacking. And I'm Charles Maxwood from TeachMeToCode.com. Um, we are working, I've been working on the, the new site, so keep an eye out for that. It should come out within the next few weeks. Um, I also want to point out that we are in iTunes, so if, if that's what you're using to get this, then leave us a review. And if not, then uh, there should be a link on the, the webpage, rubyrogues.com where you can go ahead and just click that and then uh, subscribe to the podcast. If you're, if you're uh, listening it from another app, I'd be interested to see what that is. I, I get a lot of that in the stats that I look at, but you know, I'm, I'm always interested in new options, especially things uh, for, for the Android or uh, other systems. So um, anyway, if, if you're doing something like that, then go ahead and uh, tweet to Ruby Rogues and let us know what you're listening on. And uh, beyond that, we'll catch you next week.